This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Let's remind the Jedi what happens when the weak seek to match metal with the Dark Lords of the Sith. Sir, from the surviving officer's reports, Lord Revan has gone down with the ship. He's still alive. everyone today we are uh, coming with uh i don't know kind of a little bit of a different topic for us i mean it's still going to be in the realms of of entertainment we're going to be talking a lot about uh the star wars and uh lucasfilm of of it all here as we kind of go through but today we have a very special topic uh and you know what it is cassia it is cgi what's what's cgi it's the cape guardia regional airport uh, IATA airport code CGI, an airport in Missouri in the United States. That's true. That's true. Uh, it is that. It is also the Coast Guard Intelligence, uh, the Catholic Guides of Ireland, Compacted Graphite Iron. Uh, there's a lot of CGIs in the world, but the one we're talking about today specifically uh, is the one that relates to uh, the movies and television shows uh, that we're all uh, watching and taking in. Of course, that is computer-generated imagery, and it's gotten uh, quite the uh, quite the fervor around it here. You know, in light of the the strikes and things that are going on, how that relates to relates to that and obviously you know as uh, moviegoers and tv watchers how uh, how we're taking in uh, that content what we think about it and stuff like that so we thought it would just be kind of a, a fun uh, conversation to have you know talking about some different aspects of uh, cgi yeah so if you pull up computer generated imagery on wikipedia The definition is CGI is a specific technology or application of computer graphics for creating or improving images and art, printed media, simulators, videos, and video games. These images are either static, like still images, or dynamic, like moving images. And CGI refers to both 2D computer graphics and more frequently 3D computer graphics with the purpose of designing characters, virtual worlds or scenes, and special effects like in films, television programs, commercials, all the rest. And the application of CGI for creating slash improving animations is called computer animation or CGI animation. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of different um, kind of aspects of CGI. Um, I think normally, like if you just, uh, you know, stop someone on the street and say, what do you think about CGI in movies? They're going to think of things uh, like Gollum from Lord of the Rings or uh, Jar Jar, um, you know, from the from the Phantom Menace. Uh, stuff like that is what you think about. Or maybe you think about, uh, you know, some CGI like environments, like in the newer Marvel stuff or uh, the way they do like their suits. But CGI can apply to a lot of different aspects of uh, films, right? You know, so beyond you know CGI character models, um, CGI is used obviously in in animation, um, in newer animation, you know, Pixar stuff like that. Um, obviously, it can be used in uh, the way that you create landscapes, uh, expand on landscapes, um, 
uh, how you do uh, work in your matte paintings, how you, uh, you know, kind of do all of that stuff, you know, um, from like digital compositing where you're layering uh, things together. You can do that digitally now and all of that stuff falls under the umbrella of CGI. And I think that uh, that's kind of interesting to think about when you think about uh, CGI. So it's not necessarily, you know, just, um, you know, just a computer uh, animated character that's acting alongside of uh you know your other uh you know human uh flesh and blood characters it's it's this whole gamut of stuff that cgi is used for yeah and what blew my mind is that the first feature film to use cgi um in a live action film do you know what it is well so the the first instance of cgi being used in a film is for the opening sequence in vertigo um, which is a Alfred Hitchcock uh, film that was in 1958. So John Whitney and Larry Cuba um, basically used this anti-aircraft uh, targeting mechanism, and they realized that if they just plotted different points on that targeting mechanism, that they could create basically any kind of like shape and things that they wanted. Um, and if you watch the beginning of Vertigo, that's what you get. It's a bunch of like little like spirally uh, things kind of going on through that uh, credit sequence, um, and that's kind of where it got its start. And then that sort of same technology was used um, in different like television things and commercials and like tech demo sorts of things like that. Um, but if we're talking about like a 2D um, animation um, in a film, I think the first live action of that, um, I could be mistaken here, but I believe was in uh, Michael Crichton's uh, telling of Westworld, 1973. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I've seen the, at least the first few seasons of Westworld, so it's very cerebral. <laughs> <laughs> it is very cerebral, absolutely. So yeah, that was the first 2D animation was in Westworld, 1973, and the first 3D animation was in Future World, the sequel to that, in 1976. So that makes sense. Um, and then we get into, um, you know, kind of you know, our bread and butter here at the Old Republic podcast, uh, Star Wars in 1977. Uh, you know, when, when Luke and R2 and team are on Yavin and they're looking at the Death Star plans and they get the little run up through the trench, that was done CGI. Yeah, it's funny because the CGI uh, was done. They couldn't really change it. So if you look at the Death Star and the plans, they don't quite match. But Rogue One used the the imperfect CGI, you know, so that's a fun uh, detail. <laughs> that's right. Apparently uh, the Bothans maybe only got like 99% of the file uploaded or something. Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Um, so that kind of gets gets us started there um, into uh, Star Wars, like I said, in 1977. Um, and then you have Industrial Light and Magic, who's really kind of... Um, almost like carrying the torch in terms of computer animated stuff. So 1982, um, Star Trek Wrath of Khan uh, they did, which was the first CGI landscape. They did The Adventures of Andre and Wally B, which was the first fully computer animated short in 1984, using a little computer called Pixar, and we know uh, what happened with that. Um, in 1985, young Sherlock Holmes, there was the stained glass knight that pops out of there. Um, he's on screen for like 10 seconds, but that was the first fully uh, CGI character in a film. Uh, went on to do uh, Willow that had like that uh, photorealistic like morphing sequence, um, the abyss, like uh, water column that's coming to life. And Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was the first film to use fully uh, digital compositing um, in that film. So ILM did a lot of the the uh, heavy lifting, I guess, in terms of uh, getting CGI to the forefront of the way that com that movies were going to be made. Yeah, and that's a part of Lucas and Lucasfilm's legacy that I don't know if people know enough about. 
because when I think of Star Wars, I don't just think of like practical shot on film. I think of like pushing the edge and sometimes uh, people like that. Sometimes people don't, but um, movies would not look as good as they can. I, I don't think like without like ILM and uh, THX sound. You know. Yeah, abs- absolutely. They were uh, very important, uh, like I said, in kind of the way that movies were being put together, what was possible um, in movies. And, you know, they were they were doing a lot of that stuff, you know, not, you know, they weren't the only ones. Of course, there were other studios and design companies doing stuff, too. So you had other like CGI, like breakthrough films and shows that, you, that people think of when they think of uh, CGI effects and stuff like that. So like Tron and The Last Starfighter, Akira. Uh, Doctor Who, Labyrinth, uh, Total Recall, uh, stuff like that were all, you know, pretty influential in terms of CGI and what it was capable of um, and what it was doing. Um, and then as I was going kind of through the history, I have kind of like um, my own kind of kind of personal opinion. It's one of my favorite uh, films, uh, but it's it's kind of like the, the crossing, crossing the first threshold for CGI, I think. Um, and that is 1992's Terminator 2. Uh, that was kind of what opened the door, um, I think, in terms of what you could do uh, with people in terms of CGI. Um, You go through that door, and on the other side of that, just one year later, is Jurassic Park. And at that point, the doors are blown wide open, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and CGI is the way that movies are going to be made going forward. Yeah, and I did the math. Uh, 2023 minus 1958, do you know what it is? Uh, That is a lot of math that you're asking me to do right now, so I'm going to defer to you. Uh, 65, so CGI is now a senior citizen, I guess. Yeah, that's that's good. They're uh, eligible for their uh, senior citizen discount. Uh, good job, uh, CGI. Uh, that's great, but... Um... But yeah, I, like I said, I think I think Jurassic Park was kind of kind of that final instance, and you know ILM did the effects for that, and you know when people talk about CGI and you know some, the CGI is bad or CGI is is good or uh, you know CGI isn't as good as it used to be, they always look at Jurassic Park. Yeah, it seemed like when the prequels were coming out, they're like, oh, the CGI in Jurassic Park was perfect. Like they should have just stopped there. Um, <laughs> And it's funny because, like, I I did read more reviews than I think I realized growing up. And it kind of seemed like maybe it was a generational thing. But, like, a lot of the reviewers are just like, uh, I'm going to discount, like, uh, some quality for the CGI and it just doesn't look good. And I think it wasn't until, like, the Avengers came out, like, people, like, reviewers stopped complaining about CGI. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair, because, uh, you know, just like today, uh, you know, when we like to complain about CGI, and I think we have some uh, comments from Marcus, and probably our our own both things, so when we think about bad CGI, we think about stuff that's uh, coming out right now, because everything looks better when you're 10 years old than it does, uh, you know, when you're when you're our age, for sure. So the people that were reviewing uh, Jurassic Park in 1993 were our age now, and now we're those people's ages. So it's our turn to complain about what is next, um, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of the the way that that works. But like I said, when when Jurassic Park came out, um, you know, it was evolutionary um, in a sense. You think of Star Wars and the way they use those models to give scope and um, speed and space to um, things that were happening uh, on screen. 
um, you know, Jurassic Park really opened the door in terms of what you're able to do uh, with these computer models, you know, you know, between the dinosaurs, between the way that the landscapes worked, between the, um, you know, the stuff that you had um, interactively happening, like within the Jeeps and stuff like that. It was it was like this whole like different toolbox and obviously you know you have steven spielberg you have um ilm that are doing this uh working together who you know work together on you know everything you know all the way back like to et and stuff like that so um had a really good working relationship and i'm um, obviously gonna put a lot of uh, time and care and money into making that look good and uh therefore i think you know in my eyes it gets held up as kind of this benchmark uh sort of property that um you know really kind of ushered in uh cgi for better or worse because you know when that became the norm, you know, CGI became all the rage, and then it started getting used in all sorts of things, for all sorts of things. Um, for example, I watched Kiss the Girls uh, just a couple of nights ago, uh, which is like this, um, kind of like this uh, crime thriller uh, sort of thing. And, you know, I'd watched it back in, I don't know, 1996 or 7, whenever it came out. Um, and it, I didn't really realize it at the time, but uh, in the opening sequence, there's like a CGI car crash, which didn't need to be done in cgi but you know that was kind of kind of the fashion of things then and i think it's still kind of the fashion of things now for the most part yeah there can be just like a, a large um you know um i guess grid like from good best bad ugly on cgi like and obviously like brian and i we aren't cgi experts we're not uh computer animators you know maybe we'll have to get someone who's more familiar uh with it like in the future if we want to you know like if anything can happen you know maybe you can cgi it and later you know having an expert you know but that's right um, we're recording on a on a green green audio screen right now we can uh layer in whatever we want later um yeah and i think it's it's important to say here is we're gonna now that we've kind of gone through the history we're going to talk about some you know cgi that we like or don't like or whatever um that is i think it's important to also say that um computer animators are uh very good at their job they're very passionate at their job and i'm going to go out on a limb and assume that they're uh incredibly overworked at all times so if cgi looks bad or you don't think that it's good it's very I'm going to say that it's almost never uh, at the fault of the, you know, the the creator, the artist that is doing the CGI stuff. You know, it could be um, the way that the director or producer wants it to look. It could be a time deadline. It could be, uh, you know, any number of things. Um, you know, yeah. I don't think anyone, any artist sets out to put out something that you think is quote unquote bad. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just kind of the nature of, you know, the industry and, you know, churning things out um in in the sense i was looking this up just before uh we got started cassia because i thought it was kind of interesting and something i wanted to take a look at so um you know i've talked about jurassic park now we'll probably bring it up another time or two but uh in the year that jurassic park came out uh, 1993 uh there were let me see here 267 films released that year um versus uh the year uh 2019 uh that was the year that avengers uh, endgame um and rise of skywalker uh, both came out there were 910 releases that year um so it's it, you know kind of the landscape of movie making and the time and the turnover of these projects is just so incredibly fast now you have to take that i think with a grain of salt when you're thinking of the way something uh, might specifically look so yeah and i think like i totally 110% agree with you like if CGI is bad in a movie it's probably because 
the animators are overworked and uh, underpaid and maybe you just have a director who doesn't know how to frame shots or film them in an order to give animators the most time to work on them. And I don't know if like that's just kind of been a trend more recently or like I've kind of just have gotten more aware of it um, because I think we have like maybe a little bit of a list of like our personal like best good bad and ugly you know um, CGI effects and I think like uh, some of the best effects are when you have like directors who know how to uh, kind of film those uh, shots and are working mm -hmm. with like you know like the best people like and they're incorporated it's not just like kind of last minute like reshoots and they're like take this mustache off of this actor because we need it out now you know right. so yeah yeah we'll you get, get uh, <laughs> you get you get 48 hours to get this mustache off of this guy yeah i mean it's you know as as we mentioned kind of at the top right cgi is not like this um this magic like paintbrush of of magic that you can that you can wield it's a tool it's a movie making tool right so i mean um you know everything down to the particular film you're using the way that things are lit and all those things have to work in conjunction and you know some some directors and cinematographers and stuff are are better at kind of incorporating that uh, others aren't um and that's just that's just kind of the nature of the thing it's uh, it's the similar to if you look at something um like the uh, shoot the thing that uh, Mandalorian is uh, the volume. If you look the at volume. the volume, um, you know some of that looks that looks really good. You know there were instances of its use in um, Andor that looked really good. There have been um, instances, especially in this last season of Mandalorian, that looked spectacular. Um, but you know they have you know a couple seasons and and using that um, under their belt now. It's it's this new tool that you have to figure out how to use and how to use it the best. And not everyone is going to be able to use it as well as as others or have the time to learn on it or uh, things like that. So like I said, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a tool that you can use. And, uh, you know, just like, just like anything, some people are, are better at it than others. Yeah. And like, I don't know, a sword is a tool. And there's that saying, like, you know, like the two sides of a sword, like a double-edged sword, uh, it can like have good, consequences and it can have bad consequences um uh so did you kind of want to get into what you think the best cgi uh, okay. effects that you think are absolutely you're you're supposed to say um and speaking of double-edged swords and the good side of the sword what is the good uh when it comes to cgi uh for sure <laughs> um you're uh, better so at transitions than i am so <laughs> <laughs> it's a transition is just a tool uh that we have in our in our arsenal and i just here on, fail on most the, of the time but it's on, fine on the on the podcast on the podcast uh yeah so there is uh, definitely some good um uh, cgi and a lot of the things that i have on my list um kind of are on the good part of the cgi and the bad part of the cgi um so you know we mentioned uh, jurassic park of course um you know the first matrix movie i feel like is a good um example of uh good ways to use uh, cgi and camera trickery um in that film um i think that the sequels of the matrix are less good at <laughs> using cgi um in a realistic fashion um i think that the cgi in Lord of the Rings uh, is really excellent, um, specifically um, 
and talking about things like the uh, kind of the dead army uh, that comes in uh, later on, which is you know kind of close to some stuff that happens, I think, in uh, one of the films you're going to to bring up. Um, obviously, Avatar is kind of this benchmark of what you can use computers to do um, if you set your mind to it. Um, the newer Planet of the Apes films, I think, look really, really good in their creature design and the way that they're able to use, uh, you know, CGI motion capture uh, to tell that story. Um, and then even like, um, you know, some some newer stuff too, like um, Kong versus Godzilla, which came out, um, I think, in 2020 uh, potentially. I thought that that actually uh, looked really good as well. Had really neat kind of weather effects and things like that, and telling kind of this more uh, bombastic story. Um, television, uh, there's some really great stuff. Uh, the new Star Trek stuff I think looks great. Um, I don't watch a lot of it, but um, from what I've seen, it looks really good. Um, the way they use CGI and The Last of Us to kind of expand on uh, the settings and things, particularly the episode that's set in the mall, which was uh, all filmed on one floor of the mall, and the whole rest of the mall was done uh, in computers, and it looked exactly like a mall uh, that I would have went to uh, back in the late 90s for sure. Um, some of the Marvel stuff looks okay. WandaVision, Loki, I think, look pretty good in terms of uh, their use of CGI. Some of it's not so great. Um, and then, of course, you have, like, all of Pixar. Um, even if you think that the Pixar stories aren't as good as they used to be, um, they are. You're just older now. Um, but I think that the Pixar films still look spectacular. Every time I see the newest one, I say, wow, I don't know if animation can ever look uh, prettier than this, and every time it does. Um, and my last example here of good is the special edition of Star Wars, uh, which is also going to be on my bad list. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, like, some movies, like, they have really good effects. They can have good effects. They can have bad effects. And I don't think, like... There's ever, like, uh, you know, like, ugly effects with some of them that I like. But, um, yeah. Uh, so, I think my favorite all-time CGI effect is actually J.B. Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, 2 mm -hmm. and 3. Uh, some reviewers back in the day were like, oh, it's a... It's a it's makeup, you know, like you can see his eyes and stuff, but those are fake CGI eyes. CGI eyes. <laughs> CG eyes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I just was blown away because there's so much emotion in that. And I still just have no idea how they made it. Like if it was just like the perfect storm nautical, nautical pun, but, um, of just a director who knew to how to how to best uh, utilize and film those scenes. A great actor. Uh, I think they had ILM uh, just making the best uh, effects at the time, and they were probably uh, given enough time to really do those effects, you know. But I don't know if someone was involved with the making of Pirates of the Caribbean and they want to tell us, let us know. But I think Davy Jones is my favorite and uh, best effect that I've seen. And mm -hmm. I mean, in our in our uh, episodes, I think I've also mentioned like just the skyscapes and world building in the prequel trilogy. I love it so much, and that's just like the the sunsets sunrise on coruscant i just love it so much i think the buildings look so good um then you have Gollum, and 
some people are like, oh, it doesn't even look like he's, the shadows are right, you know, and it matches with the environment. But I'm like, this is the first, you know, like, or I guess mm -hmm. second, you know, like, person, like, in a mocap suit, kind of like, and it, and the, the characters on screen are interacting, you know, with it. It's just so amazing. And I think, uh... Gollum's a bit better than Jar Jar, but without Jar Jar, I, I, I think, like, without Jar Jar, I don't think people would say, like, Gollum looked as good, because they wouldn't have been used to it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I did think King Kong in Peter Jackson's King Kong, I think that came out in 2005, I want to say. I think it was an overlong and, at times, disgusting movie, because I'm like, ew, bugs, I hate this, but... King Kong was good, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then Avatar, uh, Avatar 1 and 2, I think it's just like, even if you don't like the story, the CGI, like, it's good, uh, the first Matrix, it was amazing when I saw it for the first time, um, and those dinos in the first Jurassic Park, man, like, <laughs> they still look good, um, uh absolutely yeah. <laughs> and then under good i put clone troopers because they were cgi uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the matrix sequels I, I put them under good as well and then bad i put the hobbit movies um and then the younger job of the hut in the special edition um and then ugly well, i'll save ugly so yeah <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really have anything, um, in ugly necessarily, but I had, I had some bad. I also uh, thought that the, um, the job of the huts in the special edition does not look uh, particularly good. I think some of the special edition stuff looks great. Um, yeah. Uh, particularly like the, um, like the expansion of like the the scenery and the windows, um, like in Bespin, I think looks fantastic. Um, and really happy to have uh, stuff like that. That looks great. Um, of course, you know, being old and jaded, the newer uh, DC and Marvel movies uh, don't uh, look as good, I think. But I'm gonna get to a little bit of a, a reasoning on that. Um, Cats is one that's weird and off putting. I don't like that. <laughs> um, in terms of that, um, and I don't I don't know something that we just watched very recently, uh, a movie now that's uh, gaining uh, kind of a second steam here, uh, Kingdom of the crystal skull what's up with that gopher the little cgi gopher uh not not that good why why didn't they just use like a stock uh footage of a real gopher uh that would have been better uh, they didn't want to harm <laughs> a real gopher you know what if you they got hit by an atom bomb you they, know they, they they harmed my eyes with the fake gopher uh should have been a real gopher could have could have been trained it would have been safe from atomic blasts it could have had they could have had a little gopher fridge for it to hide in uh that would have been good that would have been hilarious, actually, if the gopher got in with him. Um, now I kind of wish that the gopher had more screen time. So Yeah, justice for the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull gopher is what we need. Yeah, I want the, the gopher cut. Um, under ugly, I put cats. Um, <laughs> I saw that, like, I streamed it. I paid for that rental, I believe. Um, oh, wow. and I was like, why did I watch this? Like, I, I watched it, but can I explain the plot? No. 
Um, and just the effects. I'm just like, I think there was, there were several conversations they could have had at any point that they never did. Um, I don't understand why they did what they did, but they did it. Um, and Capitol's stash, like in the original <laughs> uh, Justice League, you know, mm, release. Mm-hmm. Um, man, um, they should have just had a. They could have just like done so many other things like it's like oh when he was dead he wasn't really dead but he grew a beard and a mullet so yeah that's just how he looks now but they did what they did um and the cool thing is we got the Snyder cut so we don't have to watch the the stash Mm, whatever they did there you know in the original cut yeah. That's true. The unfortunate bit is then you have to watch the Snyder Cut, uh, which is my hot take of the episode, oh! uh, for sure. Uh, <gasps> sick, sick, sick burn, <sighs> sick burn, sick burn. So, uh, see, see, yeah, that is that is kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly um, as we see it as adjudicated here. Uh, by the Old Republic podcast. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of where those lists come from and what I think is kind of a symptom of those. Um, And I mentioned a little bit, you know, talking about Jurassic Park is, you know, that now now we're older and it's easier to kind of kind of pick these things apart. It's not as magical. Um, You know, if you're if you're 10 years old right now and you're going to watch, um, I don't know, Ant-Man, it looks amazing. You don't care if it looks good or if the the stuff is less realistic or not, right? Because you're 10 and it's fun and it's uh, comic booky and you don't care. But if you're old um, and grumpy, then uh, like myself, then you're going to say, mm, I don't know, it doesn't look that good. It doesn't look that good. And I think that part of the problem of that is I think that bad CGI is a really easy scapegoat um, for a, a reason to not like something. Like, it's harder to, to talk about a movie and be like, oh, these are the things that I don't like and why. Like, that's that's hard conversation to have on, you know, on online or on your Letterboxd review or something like that. But it's easy to be like, I don't like this because the CGI was terrible. Right. It's it's kind of like a it's kind of like an easy out for why you don't like something without having to really like verbalize what you didn't like about it um, or analyzing the story too much. I think that that's part of it. Um, another part of it, um, I think at least kind of in our um, lifetimes. Maybe it's not as big of a deal going forward, but you know, I remember watching Terminator 2 like 10,000 times on a little 13 inch TV that I have in my house, uh, in my bedroom, right? I would put in my VHS tape, which is like the worst format for watching anything ever. Um, and I would watch yeah. it on this little tiny TV. Um, and I would think that it looked amazing. And now if I watch it, it's going to be like in 4k, like on this huge TV that I have in my house that costs, I don't know, like a fraction of what that little 13 inch TV costs. Um, and it's, it's going to have so much more like depth of color and things that, you know, flaws get highlighted then in that sense. You know, I remember when like the HD format came out and how weird everything looked because it was all of a sudden in like this super crisp, you know, literal, but um, high definition. Um, and so I think that that kind of plays a part of it, too. I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal, you know, for you know people now that are, you know, 20 younger than that um, coming into play. But especially in my lifetime, I think you know that that technology changed and it changed so vastly so fast um that it's easy to you know to pull apart those flaws in that way too yeah i mean once i get a 4k player and can watch all the 4ks maybe i'll be like yeah everything's ruined but call it a day you know (laughs) maybe when i get the 4k version of the mummy returns i'll be like oh 
the scorpion king looks even worse you know and i think that's like my ultimate ugly cgi effect you know Ooh. but um yeah but it's interesting because like effects and time kind of march on you know and some of the effects that i love the most are uh from like old french films like beauty and the beast you know and Mm -hmm. uh the blood of a poet uh some some effects are timeless and remind you of theater and then some cgi is just good and maybe it's just like we sometimes we can't predict like what's going to take off what will last what will be beloved forever but um i think cgi is here to stay but uh i think in some ways it can get worse and in some ways it can get better but I think, like, um, maybe just the key is, like, keep effects uh, people in the conversation when you're filming them. Don't just, like, be like, oh, we kind of, like, improvised, you know, kind of away from the planned shots that we we thought because we were just having fun on set, so just deal with that and can you get them back to us in like two weeks actually no a week and a half you know so Mm -hmm. what do you think yeah no i totally agree and you know these things take time and you can certainly see um in films that you know take their time to do those things uh neither of us mentioned dune which is kind of absurd um oh my gosh Uh, um, we're Oh my gosh i'm a failure now yeah that's right we can't we canceled ourselves over dune um we we were at one time a Dune Dune podcast. We probably would have brought it up then. Um, but I I think that you know if you look at something like that where you know the the filmmaker and the studio and things are willing to set aside the time to make sure that it looks you know as perfect as possible, um, then that's great. But unfortunately, that's not you know that's not kind of this this fast turnaround uh, streaming everything on demand uh, sort of world that we live in. So I think that you know you have to have. Um, you know, movie makers and studios that are willing to to kind of take that extra step. Um, something interesting is I was doing a little bit of this research here um, in terms of the time, and I'd mentioned kind of how you know how like there are like triple the amount of movies coming out you know you know now yeah. versus in 1993. Um, something very significant happened, um, and it revolves around um, George Lucas and Attack of the Clones. 2002, uh, Attack of the Clones was the first movie that was shot you know, completely digitally. Right. And that opened opened the door. Right. Movie theaters had to change uh, the way that they showed movies and things. It took a big gamble on making this digital uh, movie making, uh, which is great. And it's neat and it's cheaper. And, you know, George Lucas really wanted to kind of, you know, lower the barrier for entry for people to be able to make movies. Right. Um, you could yeah. you could buy, you know, a digital camera uh, pretty cheap um, and, you know, shoot a movie on it and it would look great, um, you know, versus paying, you know, eighty thousand dollars for some thirty five millimeter uh, film to film on. Right. Which is uh, everyone can do that expensive um exactly but what that does kind of the flip side of it the the you know the bad edge of that sword then is that all these movies could just be cranked out um you know mass produced uh so to speak so we went from uh 2001 there were 412 releases um and then in 2002 there were 570 releases 2003 667 2004 700 so i mean literally the amount of films almost doubled kind of in that like two to three year window where people were starting to film things digitally and i think that 
movie studios and stuff kind of saw that and said, man, we can make these movies really cheap and really fast. Let's do that. We'll do a lot of that. Um, and I think yeah. that's kind of where you started to see that happen. And if you look at like the mid 2000s CGI, uh, you know, a few exceptions. And we talked about some of those. Most of it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and just kind of remembering like the the reviews, like, and like, sometimes like CGI would bother me too. And it like, it really wasn't like, I think the MCU has some really good effects, but once every superhero in the MCU started to get this, like, what did they call it in the movies? It's like nanotech, like suits, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and like some of the look good, but now some of it just looks a little, a little lazy, a little sloppy. Um, and I think that's just because they're cranking so many of these out uh, at a, per year now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the Avengers, I was amazed. Like, I was, like, even though, like, I kind of, like, burned with the flame of, like, A Thousand Suns for, like, the prequel trilogy. Some people are like, oh, it has CGI and, like, I didn't like Jar Jar, so it's automatically bad, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I was, like, the Avengers, like... People like this, you know, um, and the effects, like, look good, you know, like, and I think that was kind of the turning point, like, where CGI was, like, not instantly discarded, um, Mm -hmm. and I think we had, like, some really good, some really good films, like, I kind of wonder if it was kind of just, like, during the pandemic, like, where CGI kind of, like, people were working from home and kind of overworked and like a lot of things were up in the air like do you think that's kind of like what caused like this like it seems like a lot of cgi coming out right now is just like unfinished like do you think that yeah i mean if you're talking about something that's a big property um like marvel in that sense um i mean what this year um you know kind of in this post-pandemic world we're gonna have three major marvel releases right we had uh ant-man and the wasp quantumania we had um guardians of the galaxy volume three and we're gonna have the marvels later this year that's three giant <laughs> you know computer heavily relied on uh films that are going to get made um in this year and i mean they probably were in production maybe for the last year or so you know after the pandemic that is a lot of work to be done on those on those films and uh i think that that's part of it i think the other part of it too i think um i think people kind of forget and we're kind of getting off of what we're uh you know talking about is you had iron man came out in 2008 um and then you had you know the avengers um endgame uh came out in 2019 so it was 21 years of building to endgame so once endgame was over people kind of expected that same sort of emotional connection with all of those characters that, you know, had originally taken 21 years to build. They still wanted that same feeling of 21 years condensed into like one year. And that's, that's not possible. That's not the way that it works. Um, so I think that, you know, partially it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an expectation thing. And then also partially is we don't need three Marvel films in a year. That, that is true. And you're always like making me think, because uh, sometimes I'm like just like hot take, and then you're like, but actually, what if this? And it's like, oh, okay, I guess if I think about it that way, like I can be a little bit more positive and stuff. But um, 
I think our friendship may end over the Snyder Cut, but we'll see. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll edit that out. We don't want people to think that, but yeah. That's fair. That's so. fair. Four hours. Uh, we've we've agreed anything over two hours is too long, and that's double two hours. But I watched it at time. home, so it was okay. So. <laughs> Yeah. You can watch it at home or you can uh, take breaks and make your own popcorn. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. So um, we have uh, something here. And then I, we're going to get into one kind of last little section here talking about um, like the ethics of de-aging and stuff. You know, something that's come to the forefront, especially um, in the light of uh, Indy 5. But we have something here from Marcus. Did we want to read that? Yeah, Marcus was sick. Uh, so he wants to save his voice and maybe we'll hear him soon in the future for the Holocronicles season three so yeah let me uh let me get this on here it says oh you two know how to trigger me oh this is uh this is from marcus mosley from uh the mosley review from Holocronicles of a jedi and from uh being on this podcast a a bunch of times to to come on and uh, help out and lend his voice in various ways so check out uh, Mm -hmm. all marcus's stuff i'll put the link to his uh instagram and stuff down in the in the show notes so you can uh connect with him there um marcus says oh you two know how to trigger me in so many ways haha <laughs> hello old republic podcast listeners and hello cassia and brian hello marcus uh it's your one and only marcus mosley and i may not have a voice right now to record this message we're in the modern age so text will do fine speaking of modern age we live in the age of modern cgi that and for all of its artistry and advancements and what is possible to put on screen has completely oversaturated the entertainment industry i miss the days when cgi was used as a tool to extend the scenery or add to storytelling the perfect blend between practical effects and digital effects is a magic trick that many of our legendary filmmakers have mastered and others have never learned how to execute the prestige element of the trick I miss the days where films were more practical and not these oversaturated worlds of fiction. Let's look at three examples of films I think that have CGI- been the best and worst in CGI use. They range from stories that use more practical effects that had CGI extensions, which enhanced the story, and one that let CGI envelop the film completely, where it felt like an in- intangible world. Jurassic Park We all know and love Steven Spielberg's 1993 classic, and there are many video essays on why the film revolutionized CGI and filmmaking for the foreseeable future of storytelling. The reason why it keeps being brought up is that the majority of the film is practical, and the only CGI moments involved the master shots of the T-Rex, quick movements of the raptors, or the moment that we all remember being blown away with the Brachiosaurus making her debut. It was that perfect blend of digital and practical during the T-Rex breakout scene that terrified us all because for majority it was real with necessary CGI creations and extensions. Example of great extension, the moment the T-Rex picks up Gennaro off the toilet. It was transitional one shot from the stuntman sitting to him being picked up and then to a digital body double being flung left and right. Seamless. Um, There's actually some good stuff on this if you have the Jurassic Park uh, DVD or if you watch the um, ILM documentary on uh, Disney Plus. There's some good stuff uh, there. Uh, So that's what he has to say about Jurassic Park. Uh, The Batman. Uh, A more modern film that gets overlooked for its amazing art style and use of CGI in the film. Yeah, the big finale in the massive convention center wave pool was the big CGI finale, but there were so many other well-hidden digital effects. I had the distinct privilege to attend a surprise screening of the film nine months before its theatrical release. Before the film started, they did the standard, this film is a work in progress and some shots are not finished, slideshow of some footage that used blue screen and CGI extensions. With that screening, I was amazed how back to basics the film was. Real sets were used with the help of a few shots from the volume 
that were used in The Mandalorian. Some city CGI backdrops, of course, some CGI was used during the amazing Batmobile chase, and lastly, Batman's cape was cut short just past his shoulder blades and extended out with CGI in at least six shots. Matt Reeves made Batman's world seem so real and a place that looks like a real Gotham City that I would never want to visit. That was artistry <laughs> and minimal CGI use at its finest. Okay, um, that's a really good example of pretty much the way CGI is used in all films uh, these days. Um, you know, Oppenheimer just came out and uh, you know, Christopher Nolan was uh, very, very explicit on his uh, non-use of CGI, although there was a, a CGI department and a lot of that is kind of um, for things like that. It's kind of in the background that you would never uh, really realize um, that we're done in that way. Um, then Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Most likely the most egregious use of CGI the MCU has seen in a long time. Don't get me wrong, I love the first 10 years of MCU films, but now it's truly becoming lackluster. No matter how I felt about this film, it looked like a glorified tech demo for an open-world game than an actual realm. The lighting was all over the place in saturation, and sometimes it looked like there wasn't any natural light sources or anything the characters touched seemed real. Even during the somewhat confusing action-packed final battle, the main characters are constantly running around and it felt like they were running on a treadmill. It almost felt like the beautiful but flawed film Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. With all of the advancements in tech the MCU films have achieved with Thanos, Rocket and Groot, and even Endgame, it felt like a huge step backwards in creativity and practicality. There are so many more examples of amazing advancements, a la James Cameron's Avatar films and Christopher Nolan's much-appreciated philosophy of doing everything in camera as much as possible. I just feel we've all started feeling the fatigue of over-CGI'd scenes and lackluster storytelling. This may never happen, but I would love to not have any Marvel, DC, Star Wars, or any major big-budgeted CGI films come out for one year. Let's not get back to the early mid-90s or late 80s where we made things for real where CGI was a last resort instead of starting point of a screenplay. That's why we love movies in the 80s and that us 80s and 90s kids grew up on. It was an inventive time with practical sets, miniatures, and magic. Uh, yeah, uh, those are uh, some, some fair statements there from Marcus. Thank you so much for sending in uh, your thoughts our way. Yeah, uh, some really good points. And oh my gosh, we even did an episode on the Batman, but like... I feel like so much has happened in the last few years that I kind of literally forgot that that did come out, but I I did enjoy sure. it, you know? Um, and I'm kind of feeling good that I haven't seen Quantumania, just the more I hear about it, you know? But mm. um, mm -hmm. I just started listening to a book uh, on my phone, and you're going to laugh when I tell you the title. Uh how to create a, hero, a more hero with a thousand faces. Oh. No. 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 <laughs> I read that book the way it was written, you know, back in the day, but uh it's How to Create a More Human World. The future is analog, David Sachs, because um mm. I'm just like I'm gonna be funny and you know stream that on my phone using Bluetooth. But um <laughs> but I think like Digital and CGI is here to stay. Um, it can be a good tool in movies. And, I mean, I don't really know anything about, like, how to create CGI. I'm not really, like, a philosopher. Um, I never even took a philosophy class, you know, uh, back in the day. But I think, like, it this is very easy to say, 
um, but very hard to interpret and implement. But I think it's CGI is best when it is a tool, not a crutch, you know? And I think, like, at the very forefront of any new technology, you have to learn how to, you know, use it. And people have to learn how to, like, actors... People in the movie industry and audiences have to get used to it. Um, I mean, that kind of brings to mind, like, the prequel trilogy for me. Um, because, like, in some ways, like, Lucas is like, this is going to be CGI. That's going to be blue screen, green screen. You just have to imagine it. And some of the actors are just like, what? Like... I don't have a British theater background. Um, I, I think I brought up the Natalie Portman lost in green screen gif before. Um, mm -hmm. It can be a tall ask, you know, for for sometimes like young actors, even if like they're Oscar caliber actresses, obviously. But uh, and audiences have to get like, I think, CGI literate, too, you know, and I think, like, maybe the prequel trilogy could have done some things differently, but I don't think we would have had, like, the high points, you know, in the last few years without, like, someone kind of, like, taking uh, the risk that, you know, like, George Lucas did with the prequel trilogies or, like, Peter Jackson did with Gollum or, you know, James Cameron with uh, Avatar, you know, um, <laughs> so it's like, I think like when you can utilize like CGI, but like, it's not like a green screen or a blue screen all the time, but you have something like the volume or you can kind of like see it, you know, and maybe like not everything has to be pre-vis, you know, it can be storyboarded too. Like, I think a mixture of, um digital and analog uh and real sets and cgi is the best way forward but it's so easy for me to say that like not being in the know you know um mm -hmm. so it's just like cassie is like yeah you should do it the way i want to see it <laughs> like it should be a tool not a crutch that's very easy to say and i i hope it's i hope it comes across that i'm aware of that so yeah yeah it's um you know, we're, we're going back again to, like, that double-edged sword, right? Like, it it does kind of feel that way sometimes, um, in a sense. But on the other hand, like, it's giving us and creating worlds that would otherwise, you know, be, you know, more or less impossible. Um, you know, you could watch, you know, for example, like, the new, um, like, Star Wars stuff on TV. And you, you can pick it apart and be like, I don't, you know, this doesn't look that good. Or it could look better. Or, you know, it looks like Kenobi's uh, filmed on a golf course uh, right here. I think that came up in our uh, Kenobi uh, episode that we did with Plo Cool. But, um, I'm not taking it back. You know, when I, when I think back to watching A New Hope in, I don't know, 1986 or whenever I would have watched it uh, for the first time, like, like seeing Kenobi then would have like blown me away. Like it, like, it, yeah. like it's unfathomable that, you know, you get kind of the, that quality and it's just, it's just a matter of, you know, expectations and, and what you think uh, about it. And, and like I said, some things are meant for us. You know, you uh, have brought up the prequels a couple of times now, you know, old, old grumpy dudes that grew up on, you know, the original trilogy, you know, dragged 
the prequels through the mud, uh, even though there were more practical shots in The Phantom Menace than there were, uh, I think, like in all three of the original trilogy uh, films yeah. put together, um, because it was an easy thing for them to complain about, you know, kind of same as today, which I'd, which I'd mentioned there. So I think it's, like I said, it's just it's just about, uh, you know, kind of the expectations that you have. Um, and really, at the end of the day, what is the movie made for? Um, Ant-Man and the Quantumania, we've talked about a couple of times. It's a comic book movie. Is it supposed to look real? It's it's coming from a comic book. Comic books, you know, aren't real. They don't they don't look real. You can't go to a planet that's made of uh, flesh and flesh and bone like you might in a comic book and expect it to look, you know, completely realistic. So I think that I think it's a, a matter of kind of managing your expectations and then, you know, remembering on, you know, the other end of those computer are people that are doing doing their best, you know, that really love what they're doing because, you know, uh, pretty much pretty much across the board they're all underpaid and overworked for the thing that they're doing and they're only doing it because they love the art of doing it and you know trying to create these uh magic movie moments for us so uh keep that in mind keep that in mind out there i think um and uh there was one more thing we wanted to talk about here in terms of uh, cgi and uh kind of the the important stuff uh that we have going in a little bit more ethical tales cassia but that is the ethics of de-aging or bringing people back from the dead that is another cgi tool that is a very slippery slope and the uh, cause for great concern amongst a lot of circles right now so what do you think what do you think about this de-aging what do you think about bringing people back from the dead uh, what do we think so going back in time to me seeing rogue one in imax and i was watching it um, and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, because I don't know why, but I like Peter Cushing and I was like, oh my gosh, they, that's CGI. That's a dead actor, but it's CGI and he's in the movie. And mm -hmm. I was just mm -hmm. kind of like, it kind of brought me back to like, uh, George Lucas like pushing the edge forward because um, it kind of seemed like in the build up to The Force Awakens uh, and to an extent like The Last Jedi they're like yeah uh, Star Wars means filming with film and practical effects like not just everything CGI like and it was kind of like the too long didn't listen you know it's like oh i think they're i think they're saying the prequels were bad you know uh a little mm -hmm. bit implied there in some of the behind the scenes stuff and i was like oh i don't know how i feel about that but i was like i think lucas would have done this you know and like i think it fit the story the story wasn't about tarkin uh it wasn't about tarkin having you know a, a hallway scene and so far, we haven't seen another CGI Tarkin, so I loved that effect, but maybe mm. I was naive and didn't think, like, that it couldn't be used in not-so-great ways or maybe even possibly <laughs> abused, but what do you think? Uh, a, I think that it's great that you think that the the CGI reincarnation of the most uh, one of the most evil men in the, uh, the whole galaxy cannot be used for bad. That's that's kind of funny and ironic, um, in its own yeah. sense. Um, 
uh, Rogue, Rogue One uh, it's a really good film uh, you got CGI uh, Princess Leia CGI uh, Tarkin in there neither of them needed to be in there I don't like that they're in there at all uh, Leia could have been uh, shot from behind uh, could have been an actress uh, playing that role didn't need to be CGI Carrie Fisher uh, you can't tell me there wasn't some uh, archival footage of Vader and Tarkin standing in front of a window from A New Hope they could have used for that shot and not recreated them digitally uh, I don't buy that for a second I don't like their inclusion there um de-aging i think is kind of kind of okay i think it opens the door in a lot of ways for your storytelling um but i mostly think it's okay if you're using the actual actor um in that sort of film um like joe pesci in the irishman i think was uh de-aged potentially i could be uh, getting that actor wrong there or you have you know samuel L. jackson um being de-aged for captain marvel i think that stuff like that is okay um but if you're if you're talking about um, doing that to a character that's that's non-existent or not part of the story, um, or just bringing people back from the dead, uh, that's that's like a bridge too far for me, um, and that's that's kind of a problem then for the storytellers uh, to get around um, to either uh, do something with recasting or the way that you're telling it or the way that you're showing it. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of it to be honest. Okay, our friendship is officially over because you didn't like Tarkin CGI. CGI, CGI Tarkin bad. Yeah. No, just kidding. But, yeah, I I guess I just, like, always assume, like, the best and, like, I'm like, they won't abuse this, you know? Like, I didn't end up seeing The Flash. I think you had that privilege, but... Um, yeah, it's like when you're kind of bringing back actors from the dead, like I think like with uh, in the instance of Tarkin, they had permission from his family and his estate. Um, yeah. So like, I guess that can be good. But sometimes like, yeah, I don't know, like because in The Rise of Skywalker, tragically, Carrie Fisher had passed away. And in some ways, I wish they could have just like been like, let's recast her um or just like say she died off screen i don't think anyone was happy kind of like with like kind of just like the ghost like she was there but like through archival footage like it just didn't seem mm -hmm. real you yeah. know and that's unfortunate like uh it's just like tragic most tragic that carrie fisher passed away you know like uh and, like, just, like, her final role uh, is just, like, a film she wasn't really in, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, just lots of things to think about. Like, I don't know if there's, like, a nice, pretty answer. Maybe there will be some philosophers, like, years from now, you know, like, that will be, like, here is the ethics of CGI in a nice, you know, thus spake uh cgi christopher reeves you know uh mm, but mm, yeah. um yeah i think that's kind of why some actors are striking you know it's like you scanned me for cgi for stunt work but like some that 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 data is kind of just in the ether you know like floating there and like mm -hmm. if i die like 50 years from now could that be used like who would be approving that you know um i don't know if i have a nice pretty answer do you have a nice pretty thought out answer 
no, I don't, I don't really have a nice pretty answer because it's so, it's so murky and complicated and there's so much of it that we don't understand. Um, I will say, I think that it's important that, uh, the groundwork gets laid for how that stuff is used now before it gets like too far gone, um, where we can't wrangle it back in. And I think that's kind of the big thing, um, here in terms of, you know, de-aging and computer animated, um, you know, uh, real life people, um, how you use those assets, um, you know, to, you know, stuff like Chad GPT writing scripts, like that stuff is important to get locked down now, because if we don't do it now, uh, then it's going to be too late to ever do it, I think. So, um, yeah, yeah, fight, fight the good fight, um, and try to, try to get that worked out. Um, I think at a bare minimum you need, you know, the, the permission of, like you said, uh, you know, Peter Cushing's estate, that's, that's great. But then, you know, ultimately then who gets to decide, uh, what they do the the first episode of uh, season one of Black Mirror kind of kind of deals with that right uh, you know so you can you can use my likeness but what are you going to use it for exactly so uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of little details to to iron out and you know I don't pretend to be some sort of uh, uh, great mind about these things but you know I just I think it's an important that we that we kind of lay the groundwork for what it's going to mean going forward as these technologies get better and better and more realistic and things like that. Yeah, so if you were listening to this episode and it's like, I really want to learn, like, how to do CGI shots and, like, what they think about, like, the ethics of, like, reviving dead actors, they'll just be like, okay, she just really likes seeing Tarkin and CGI for some reason, but I didn't really learn anything. But I guess it's kind of just more like, this is a thinking episode. We mm -hmm. don't have the answers. Uh, if someone has the answers, it's not us. So That's right. If you uh, have the answers or have any uh, sort of opinions on those, uh, feel free to drop us a comment down below the YouTube video if you're uh, watching this uh, there. Or let us know um, on the social medias, uh, Discord, stuff like that. Because, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have, and I think um, everyone's kind of own uh, personal perspective on it is going to be a little bit different. So uh, let us know what you think about uh, the use of CGI kind of... Uh, and you know movies from your childhood and movies of today and everywhere um in between let us know all that stuff and thanks for thanks for checking this one out this was a this was a fun one and kind of a fun you know kind of kind of thought uh, uh experiment i guess uh for me at least so yeah all right may the force be with you Public podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Older Public Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Older Public Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the Force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>